Happy Easter. Thank you. Uh, so I saw an article about uh, ballpark food for baseball, because it's baseball season. If you didn't know that, you probably don't live near Cincinnati. Uh, or maybe you do live near Cincinnati. But uh, I saw how kind of like it was a bracket, like the tournament. And like the Dodger dog was one of them. There's Skyline and Chili somewhere. And then uh, the finals, I believe, were the Dodger dog versus the Philly cheesesteak. And the Dodger dog won on a technicality because you can still have it in October. Think about it. There you go. See, now originally, originally, I was going to do that with Skyline Chili. I was like, I don't want to turn them against me right away. And I've promised never to make the Reds into a punchline. Unfortunately, the owner did not promise that. Okay. <laughs> I have another one about a jump rope, but I'm just going to skip it. So just gauging my audience, just gauging my audience, and doing a five-minute set, apparently. So it's Easter, and it's such a pleasure to be here. Sean talked about how wonderful and how peaceful it is to be here, and that's what we do as Christians. Today is our day of victory. Today is our day to celebrate together, to, to think about everything, everything that Jesus sacrificed for us so that we could be here, so that we could bring our family, so that we could bring our friends, so that we could share in this worship, so that we could put flowers upon the cross to remember what he did. As I read the story, the resurrection that I'm about to read, I've said this before I said it last week, I want you to not jump ahead. Now this story, this truth of the resurrection, we know more than anything, and that's good. But I want you to think about what it felt like in those days while the disciples and Mary and everyone else had lost Jesus. Now, some of them had an inkling of what was going to happen, but they didn't really grasp it yet. But just that feeling of not having him there. So I'm going to go to John 20, 1 through 23. Early on Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. She ran and found Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. She said, they have taken the Lord's body out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So think about it from Mary's perspective, Mary Magdalene's perspective for a second. At a certain point in her life, she had seven demons exercised from her by Jesus. So she knew more than almost anyone else what the, the war was against, what the battle was against, what it felt like to be separated from God. And he rescued her, he saved her, he helped her, and she changed because of that. And so she loved him so much, she, she carried his message, his truth in her heart. And she's in deep mourning, because the last time she saw him, he was dying on a cross. And then he's in a tomb. And so she's going there just to, to honor him, and just to try to grasp what has happened. And he's not there. He's not there, and she sees that. Now, of course, like I said, we know what happens. But from her perspective, it's gotten even worse. She's been in deep mourning, and now she can't even do that. She doesn't know what to do, so she runs to Peter and John. She runs to them uh, because they're the closest thing to Jesus that, that she could think of. They're the example left for her. And so she runs. It had to be such a heartbreaking moment, and that's where we start. And that's what Good Friday is about, that heartbreaking moment. But that's not the only moment. That's not all that happens. So we go to the next verse, verse 3. Peter and the other disciples started out for the tomb. 
They were both running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He stooped and looked in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he didn't go in. Then Simon Peter arrived and went inside. He also noticed the linen wrappings lying there, while the cloth that had covered Jesus' head was folded up and lying apart from the other wrappings. Then the disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed. For until then, they still hadn't understood the scriptures that said Jesus must rise from the dead. Then they went home. I always love reading about John, reading from John, uh, because he's so humble in that he won't even name himself. He's just the other disciple or the disciple that Jesus loved. And yet, he has to point out for posterity that he was faster than Peter. And I just love that because I like to think that's kind of what I'd be, except I'm not faster than anybody. But the tomb itself was a typical tomb. It was about three foot by three foot. So you could go in, you could kind of see around, but it, wasn't, it was kind of cramped. And so John gets there and he waits. He sees that the cloths are, are folded. He sees that it's empty, but he waits. Peter runs right in. And this is a, a perfect glimpse of who they were as people too because John was thinking and, and, and reflecting and just carrying this. And Peter is boldly just going forward. And together they show us how we should be. But as far as the uh, cloths and the way they were folded and everything, so if you have ever heard anything about what it was like to bury a body then and put it in a tomb, it was a little different. They still had the oils and spices and everything, the myrrh, as we found out from when he was born. Uh, and so they would pour it all over the cloth that would go over the body, and essentially it would make like a cocoon, like it would harden around him like a mummy or something. And so for it to be folded, for it to not be like ripped apart or just like still in place or sh uh, scattered everywhere, that is a miracle in itself. That showed both of them right away like, whoa, this isn't just something taken. This is something gained. This is Jesus. And they started to feel that. They started to click. You see, Peter and John were among the leaders of the disciples. They were with Jesus every day. They heard everything that he said. They watched as he healed. They, they were recipients of his messages. But for a lot of their lives, they kind of lived it as a job. Now, I'm not saying that they did 9 to 5 and then stopped being Christian. But they kind of just went at it like, okay, we have this goal today. Let's go do this. Let's go preach. Let's go heal. Let's go talk, whatever, and, and then we'll come back. And they, they knew what Jesus said. They, they heard what he said. They believed what he said. But it hadn't really clicked yet. Because they didn't really know everything that they needed to know. They didn't really feel it. They didn't really own it yet. And then they feel something fall into place. They feel something click. They hear a snapping. They see that he's gone. And that it couldn't be that he was taken. That he was risen from the dead. And it clicks and all of a sudden, it stopped being a job, and it became a life. You see, we're here because we know that the resurrection happened. And we believe in the resurrection. But that's just a step in our lives as Christians, in our lives as people, in our lives as God's children. There's more. We have to find that click. We have to own it. We have to accept it. We have to let it change who we are. And fill us as we carry it everywhere, as we carry on with his message, with the resurrection every single day. I've said this, I said this last week, I think. A lot of people are here today. I can tell you that, I can see you. And that's awesome. 
And I've said that some of that is because we're all kind of more receptive to coming, and it's Easter, and it's a special day, Christmas is a special day. But part of it, too, is the other Christians in the world, us included, we kind of act more Christian this past week and the week going up to Christian. We kind of act more like Jesus. Now, I'm not saying that the rest of the year we're awful and jerks. I'm not saying that, except for maybe Tim. But no, I'm not saying that. I'm just joking. He's awesome. But what I'm saying is we kind of go from the job to the life because we care so much about what is happening. But you see, tomorrow is no longer Easter, but we still have the resurrection. And we can still carry this. We can still move from this. And so after Peter and John feel this click, they immediately go home together to talk to the other disciples, to wait, to hope, to reflect, to pray, to, to just know together that something more is coming. And that's what we do. That's what we have. We've seen the full breadth, breadth of the story. And so we know this. We know the victory, the hope. And we carry that. And that's so important. Going to the next verse. Mary was standing out. Oh, yeah. That's right. Sorry. Mary was standing outside the tomb crying. And as she wept, she stooped and looked in. She saw two white-robed angels, one sitting at the head and the other at the foot of the place where the body of Jesus uh, had been lying. Dear woman, why are you crying? The angels asked her. Because they have taken away my Lord, she replied, and I don't know where they have put him. She turned to leave and saw someone standing there. It was Jesus, but she didn't recognize him. Dear woman, why are you crying? Jesus asked her. Who are you looking for? She thought he was the gardener, so she said, uh, Sir, if you have taken him away... Tell me where you have put him, and I will go and find him. Mary, Jesus said. She turned to him and cried out, Rabboni, which is Hebrew for teacher. Don't cling to me, Jesus said, for I haven't yet ascended to the Father. But go find my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene found the disciples and told them, I have seen the Lord. Then she, then she gave his message. So Mary was around. Like I said, she had been healed by him from a horrible affliction, possession. And so she was around, but not 24-7 like the disciples. She witnessed a lot of what Jesus did, but she wasn't necessarily yet part of the teaching, part of the healing, part of the, the, the disciple core. And so she knew what the message was. But she was still in mourning because she hadn't heard everything. She hadn't witnessed everything. And so she's carrying that. She's sad. And I want to point out something so amazing. When Peter and John looked into the tomb, it was empty. And that clicked for them. They saw, oh, Jesus is back. When Mary looked into the tomb, there were angels there. And the reason for that is because God meets us where we are. God shows us what we need to see. He helps us feel what we need to feel. He talks to us in a personal way. He doesn't treat each of us all the same. He, he loves us individually. Now, that's so amazing. That is so amazing that the God who created everything, the God who, who created the world, the universe, who sent his son, who, who did everything for us, also individually cares about us. And so he shows Peter and John an empty tomb, and they get it. He shows Mary an angel so that she will feel that, so she will see that there's something more. It's just like when he was born, when, when Jesus came to earth. For the shepherds who felt outcast, who felt 
away from everyone. He sent a host of angels to sing and say, hey, you're a part of something. Go see him. To the wise men who were astronomers, he put a sign in the sky so that they would see it. To Joseph, he said a certain thing. To Mary, he said a certain thing. He goes to us individually. That's how much he loves you. No matter what you've done, like Mary, no matter what you've thought, no matter what your life has been, he loves you individually and completely and perfectly. He prepares us and he calls us and he leads us all personally. And then we go to Mary where she doesn't recognize him right away. Now there's a lot of reasons for that. Some of them are theological uh, in terms of the resurrection body. And I can spend the next 40 or 50 minutes talking about the resurrection body and what it means for us. But you guys would get tired somewhere around there. <laughs> Although there's no youth tonight, so I can technically keep going. <laughs> but also, she had tears running down. Her eyes were clouded with tears. And her mind was just a flutter with what's happening, what's gone, what's going on. And she's in distress. And also, she doesn't really expect to see him there. So all of these things go with it to where she's not really understanding. One time, a long time ago when I was in Seymour, I used to sub also. And I was in the office to get my assignment. And I saw, like, there was a, a lady sitting there. And she was a nurse, and I don't know why she was there that day. And it was my friend's wife. But they lived in Columbus. I never saw them. And so for her to be there, I just kind of nodded my head. I didn't recognize her. And later her and him were like, hey, you know, we were here. We didn't see you. But it wasn't where I expected to see her. And so Mary expected to see him lying in the tomb. But to see him outside, she didn't quite expect it. And yet, Jesus was not tricking her. He was just giving her the opportunity to see for herself, to choose him, to... Take him in. And then he says her name. Her name personally, because he knows all of our names. And that's where it clicked for her. And she immediately yelled out, teacher. And she immediately ran to him and hugged him. And when it says, don't cling to me, uh, we sometimes take that a different way. Like, hey, stop that. But what he's saying is, you have to let go of my body right now and go and do more work. And we can celebrate this later. Because there's more to it than just seeing me, just knowing I'm back. It's taking it to the people. It's living it. It's taking that peace, that hope. And we read this, like I said, and we think, oh, that's awesome. Mary Magdalene had a part in it. Like, she's come so far. But this was a time where not only were women not considered people, but the court of law would not even accept a woman's testimony. Like, it's like, I don't care what they say. And, and if you go to, if you remember the woman who uh, was accused of adultery, you had to have multiple men and, as witnesses because a woman didn't count. And so for Jesus to say, I don't care about that, you go, shows us that what other people think does not matter because we carry the truth. Because we carry the resurrection, we carry the hope. And he had a place, a plan, a hope for Mary. And she went and she did it. She didn't think about all that stuff either. She just went. Because like with Jesus' parables, part of this is us choosing to look deeper, to look for the truth, to look for that click. I'm so glad it snapped. To look for something more, to look for a connection, to look for him. And like Mary, 
It's personal. And she was changed. There is a song, I'm not a huge music guy as I've said, but there's a song that I love and I have several reasons for loving it, but there's a part of it that always speaks to me. And I have a quote from it, and it's, carry on. I really want to sing this, but I'm not going <laughs> to. Carry on, you will always remember. Carry on, nothing equals the splendor. Now your life's no longer empty. Surely heaven waits for you. I have no idea what Kansas was thinking or what their meaning was, but what I take from it is that you will always remember that moment that it clicks. You will always that, remember that moment that he calls your name and you hear it and you accept it and you walk to him. You will always understand that nothing equals the splendor of the king. Clothed in majesty, that's another song. Nothing equals that hope, that peace that he can bring. Nothing equals that life, that personal knowledge. Nothing the world can offer you, nothing politics can offer you, nothing sports can offer you, nothing even family can offer you equals what we gain by him coming back, by him dying for us, by him saving us, by him loving us individually. Nothing equals that. And it says your life's no longer empty. Because the tomb was empty, our lives are not. Because the stone was rolled away and he wasn't there, he was alive, we also have life. We also don't live an empty life. And then surely heaven waits for you. You can kind of figure that one out yourself. But heaven is not just something that we're shooting for. We have to carry a glimpse of that to everyone we meet. Just like he told Mary, hey, go and say that I'm back. We do that too. With our words, yes, but with our actions, with our lives, with our hopes, with our dreams, with carrying that message, carrying on in his name, carrying on. No matter who you are, no matter what you are, no matter where you are, no matter what has happened in your life, no matter what you've done, you can carry on in his name. There is always a chance to change and turn to him because he loves you individually, because he is with you individually. So we carry on with his message. We carry on with his hope. We carry on with his love. One more part of the scripture. Verse 19. That Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid uh, of the Jewish leaders. Suddenly, Jesus was standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. As he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hands and his side. They were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. Again, he said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Then he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. When he came back to his brothers, when he came back to his friends, when he came back to his family, when he came back to his disciples, the very first thing he said was, peace. Peace be with you. Have peace. And I'll tell you this, as they were sitting there, it says they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. I also think they had this mix of emotions about Jesus coming back. They were joyful, obviously. They wanted him back. They were happy for that. Change them. But also, they knew how they'd acted before that. Peter knew that he'd denied him. All of them knew that they'd ran away. 
And so they were probably expecting a little bit of a rebuke. Not an angry rebuke, but like, guys, what are you doing? And yet, peace, because he saw what they were feeling. And he looked deeper and he said, feel peace. Feel peace. Have peace. And then he showed his wounds. And again, he talks about peace. We live in a world where it's so hard to feel peace, to find peace. You can turn on the news for like five seconds. You can get on social media for like less than five seconds. And you feel that peace being dragged away. And you start to wonder, how in the world does this happen? Well, the resurrection brings us peace. It brings us the peace that because he died and came back, our sins are forgiven. That brings peace. Because he loves us, because he broke the chains of sin, the chains of death, that brings us peace. Because Jesus is alive, that brings us peace. Because heaven waits, that brings us peace. The world can't. And yet we live with that glimpse of heaven that glimpse that, that there will be peace when we are done. That glimpse that his peace fills us, that he came back and brought peace to the disciples, not rebuke, not condemnation, not anger, but peace. And then he says something that I don't know how everyone here takes it, but I know that sometimes when we read it and we're just kind of reading through the story uh, where he says, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you, we kind of think, oh, well, we're supposed to go out and preach like Jesus did. We're supposed to go out and, and, and heal, and yes, we're supposed to go out and talk about him. But it is not an accident how he worded it. Everything Jesus said, everything Jesus did had a meaning. He didn't just throw away words or actions. And so when he says, as the Father has sent me, we look at how he sent him. Not as a conqueror, though he could have been, but as a teacher. He was sent to suffer for what was right. Not to constantly be rewarded. But to suffer and live what is right. He was sent to rescue, to help, to teach, to love. He was sent to stand up each day as an example. Even if everyone else was standing against him. He was sent not to condemn but to forgive. Not to rebuke, but to give hope. He was sent to love. And he said, guys, in this room and, and 2,000 years later at, in the CLC, you are sent with that same mission, with that same hope, with that same grace, with that same love that he was sent. And as I've said before, I would love to be able to tell you that once you get that click moment, once you get it, once you just grasp him and you go out, that everything, everybody else is like, oh man, you're a Christian, that's so awesome. Let me listen, or, or I'm not going to be a jerk to you because you're a Christian, that doesn't happen. In fact, sometimes people will treat you bad just because you're doing the right thing. And yet, that happened and worse to Jesus. 
and he knew it would to us, but he sends peace and assurance. I have another quote, and this is from the greatest basketball player of all time. I play knowing that there is somebody watching me out there in the crowd that has never had the opportunity to watch a game before. And it might be the only chance they ever have to see one live in person. I was just talking to Jason and Terry upstairs, and they didn't super care, but they have to listen to me, uh, about how I saw a list of the great players, the great players, not just everybody, the great players, and how many times they had played 82 games in a season, which is the number of games in an NBA season. And Jordan was at nine. Second place was Kareem Abdul-Jabbar with five. That doesn't mean that he wasn't great, but it's like Jordan cared about playing every day because of that. LeBron's at one, just so you know. But <laughs> he thought about that every time he went out. Jordan was by no means perfect. And in fact, every one of his games wasn't perfect. And yet he went out to do his best because of the person in the back row that maybe had never seen him before. So how does that affect us? Because. Because you may be the only example of Jesus that someone sees. You're going to have bad days and you're not going to be perfect. And so it's not that they have to see you be perfect, but they have to see you handle that imperfection. Ask for forgiveness. Admit when you're wrong. Say, I'm sorry. You may be the only example of Jesus that someone sees. You may be the only love that someone has shown. You may be the only hope they're given. I hope. You may be, you may be the only example of forgiveness that someone receives. Maybe their entire life they've been judged and they've been hated and they've been treated poorly. And then you come up and you've had a bad day. Somebody cut you off on the road. Two semis were driving next to each other. I assume there are bad things that happen other than just on... 129, the red's lost, you're feeling bad, your stomach hurts, and you don't feel like being an example. And somebody steps on your toe, or somebody says the wrong thing, or somebody moves in front of you, or whatever, you don't feel like forgiving. But if every single person they've ever met also does that, how are they going to know Jesus? You may be the only example of Jesus, of the resurrection, of peace that someone sees. And yet, it's not all on you. Because on our own, we cannot do it. If just one of you had come up to put a flower on the cross, it looks pretty, but it kind of lopsided and there's just a flower. But together, we fill it. And I assume that's from Judas or something. <laughs> together, 
look what we do with Jesus. Because if the cross isn't there, and Sean is like, hey, I want you to come up and I want you to put flowers in the air here, there's just a pile of them. And yet together with Jesus, look what this looks like. Because we are never alone. And yes, you might be the only example, but he is with you. His resurrection, his peace is with you individually. And I have one more quote, and this is from Jesus. And this is something that if you've ever heard me talk before in your life, you know that I say this more than anything. How? How do we do this? How do we show peace? How do we set the example? How do we do it when we don't feel like doing it? Love God. Love others. Today is Easter. It's about the resurrection. Tomorrow is still about the resurrection, even though it's not Easter. Tomorrow it's still important to love God fully, to trust him, to give your life to him, to listen for the click, to build that relationship, to feel him, to honor him with your life, to do your best, to read the Bible, to pray, to go to church, to live like Christ. That's how we love God. And to love others the same. Because as I love to point out, the word agape is used for both of those loves, which means unconditionally. Love God unconditionally, that's obvious. Love others unconditionally, what? Even somebody that's a jerk. Even somebody that's mean. Even somebody that thinks LeBron is better than Jordan. Even though they're very wrong. Love them. Love others with your life. Love others with your example. Love others with your hope. Love others with your words. Love others with your apologies. With admitting that you're wrong. With caring for them. Love God, love others. That's how we do this. That is the message of the resurrection. That is the message of hope. That is the message of peace. Tomorrow. One of the things I used to say at retreats, is we have these three days out in the woods and like Ewok village type things. And we're all together and there's no temptation. There's nothing else around us. And it's so easy. There's not even good cell service. So it's so easy to just be Christian and be together and love each other and, and love God. And I always say, hey, as soon as you get off this bus, the world is right there. As soon as you turn that phone on, the world is right there. As soon as you get up for work tomorrow, the world is right there. And I'm going to say the same thing today. Today is easy. Today is easy. Because we're supposed to be loving today. Tomorrow, you're going to get hit. You're going to get hit with the world. You're going to get hit with the news. You're going to get hit with somebody that's mean. You're going to hit, get hit with all of this stuff. And yet, it's even more important then to love God and love others, to be that example, just like he was, every single day, by doing your best, and by giving your all to him, by carrying on in his name. That's all I got.